Psalm 50 is found on page 651 of the Pew Bible. The other week I was listening to an interview of Matt Damon. He was being interviewed and he was saying that his biggest mistake was turning down the lead role in one particular movie. These A-list actors get numerous movie offers and then they have to decide which one they will take. Well, he turned down a movie where he would take 10% or he was offered 10% off the profits and the movie was Avatar. The James Cameron science fiction epic, which grossed over $2 billion at the box office. He missed out on $250 million. Well, I don't imagine any of you here have made a mistake like that, but I want you to consider a mistake even greater than missing out on a quarter of a million dollars, and it concerns your relationship with God. In our passage this morning from Psalm 50, we find out what the mistake or the mistakes are that we're making. So let's read God's word, Psalm 50. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to his going down. Our design, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? Seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you, When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word.
Well, here in this psalm, God in his mercy speaks to the people of God. He speaks to you and to me this morning, and he reveals where we are in error, what the mistakes the people of God are making. And this psalm is like a summons. Children, have you ever been called to the headmaster's office? I hope not. Or maybe those who work for a boss, have you ever been summoned to a meeting with the boss? Well, what happens? Well, if it's your initial meeting, often it's a warning. Well, God is warning his people here. He's warning you in this psalm. And I want you to notice from this psalm, listen to God, for he speaks against your self-righteousness and your hypocrisy. And instead, you are to come with thankful dependence on him for salvation. So firstly, I want you to notice, know that God is the mighty judge in verses 1 to 6. Now, why do we make mistakes? Often it's because we don't know all the facts. We're not informed, or we simply choose not to know the truth. And the mistake that we often make about God is that we don't know who God is. It's a case of mistaken identity. I wonder, has that ever happened to you? Have you been mistaken for someone that you're not? Maybe it's a family member who looks like you. Or maybe you've received a text message or a phone call for someone else. And they're asking you for help, but you can do nothing for them. Well, in verse 21, we see the mistake that's being made here. You thought that I was altogether like you. The mistake that you and I make about God is that you think God is just like you, that his standards are your standards, that he wants to be worshipped in the way that you want to worship him, in the way that you find enjoyable, that he deals with his people in the same way that you would deal with people. Is that a coincidence? No, it's not. It's because you have turned God into someone like you. Paul writes of this in Romans 1, verse 23. They change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. This is what we do. But God is not like us. Instead, the psalm reveals who God is. The psalmist Asap gives us the true identity of God. And it's this identity that you must never forget. Asap uses title after title description after description, so that you make no mistake. God is described as the mighty one. God is not a weak God. He's not restricted. No, he is mighty. He is powerful. He is the creator of this world. He is the sustainer. He's not a safe God, but a God who is able to do awesome things. We read that he is God the Lord. This is the covenant name of God. And so God has promised himself to be in relationship to his people. And he is the one who makes that possible. It's not us. We are only the recipients of this relationship. His covenant is loving. It's generous. It's kind. He is the Lord God. He is the God of his people. And he's the one who keeps his covenant so that this relationship is secure. Verse 2, he is the radiant God. His beauty stands out. 
A beautiful person stands out. Well, God's beauty is greater than any person because it's not simply appearance. God is dazzling bright. He's shining forth. And that is God in his holiness and in his loveliness. And Paul writes of this to Timothy, of Jesus Christ coming again. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And so his beauty is to shine forth from Zion. Zion is the mountain where the city of Jerusalem was located, where God dwells with his people in the temple. And when people went to Jerusalem, they were impressed by the beauty of God. And they were to see the awesome privilege of coming before God. Finally, we read of another title, verse 6. God is judge. He will judge the world with righteousness. Now, what type of judge will God be? We live in a day and age where there's little respect for authority. But at least for now... The one in the dock shows respect to the judge. Why? Because it is the judge who has authority over what will happen to his or her future. And it's no wonder that when a judge walks into a court, everyone is called to stand. The judge sits above everyone and makes judgments. Well, God is the judge. He decides on the future of each person in this room and across this entire world. So don't mistake God's identity. Instead, show him the respect and the honor that he deserves. Well, secondly, notice God is not silent, and he calls upon you, his people. And we're not exactly sure of the context to the psalm. As I said, Asab is the writer. Asab worked as a chief musician during the time of King David, And possibly this psalm was written for the year Jubilee, when every seven years, as well as all debts being cancelled, the law of God was to be read during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now this was not to be simply done out of tradition. It's a warning for the people to heed God's word. For God is not a judge who is unpredictable in his judgments. No, he's made it clear in his word. And you too need to heed God's warning. And this is an emphasis in this psalm that God has spoken. The judge is not silent. Many of you will remember the movie Forrest Gump. And in the middle of the movie, Forrest is depressed. And so he decides to run. Jenny had told him to run once, and so he runs. And he runs across America, and he becomes famous in doing so. And after a while, he collects a group of people who follow him. They think that Forrest has got all the answers, that he's some form of guru, and and, um, that he is their hope. And I think it's in Monument Valley that he stops running after running across the country two or three times now. And those who are following, they also stop. And they quiet down to hear what their leader, the one who's given them hope, has to say. And Forrest says, I'm tired, I think I'll go home now. To which one of the followers replies, now what are we supposed to do? Well, God is not Forrest Gump. He is not someone who has nothing to say. 
He has spoken. And now in this psalm, God's people accuse God of being silent. And so in the silence, the people fill in the gaps. Instead of waiting on God, they speak for him. And often we hear this. People give their thoughts on what God thinks or what God says when they have no authority to do so. Well, in this psalm, God speaks, and we read what he has to say. God is judge, and the heavens and the earth, they are gathered in the gallery, and they're watching on. All the world is witnessing this event. This is like God calling a meeting of the UN. But who is in the dock? It's not the nations. It's not the heathen people. It's God's people. Verse 5, gather my saints together to me those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. God is going to judge his people first. We read of this in 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Luke 12, verse 48, Jesus said, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Keller writes, Christians are more loved and pardoned and yet called to a stricter account at the same time. And so God holds his people. He holds you more responsible for living in the way that he has commanded than others. That's not surprising. We do this all the time too. When you bring someone into your circle, whether it's into your friendship, whether it's into your family circle, whether it's into your work, You expect more from them. You expect a greater commitment, a devotion that you would not expect from an outsider. And likewise with God, you are in a privileged position and he holds you to a stricter standard. And knowing that, this privilege, this expectation, it should be evident in how you live your life. Too often we live our lives by doing the bare minimum. But as a child of God, Your attitude should be that of a total commitment to God. Well, how is God going to judge his people? We read in verse 3 of a fire and of a storm. When God came down to Mount Sinai, he came down as a fire. When God judged the world at the time of Noah, it was a flood. It was a storm. God, the righteous judge, is not going to ignore the sin and injustice that's going on by his people. No, he will punish Is that your view of God and his judgment? Too often we grow familiar with God and we relate to God in the wrong way. And that can be dangerous. This past week, my family and I, we were at Holiday World and I was watching some of the people who work there, many of whom appeared to be teenagers. And yet they were so careful in their safety procedures. Even though it was extremely repetitive, They did not cut any corners. Those rides are only completely safe if the staff carry out their routine inspections. And in a similar way, we need to be careful before God. Do not become overly familiar with him. Do not lose respect for this all-powerful and righteous judge. For in that over-familiarity, we let our guard down. Paul Tripp writes, But familiarity often does bad things to us. Often when we become familiar with things, we begin to take them for granted. 
Familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. And here, what's most important about this? What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. Well, God in this psalm is speaking out against his people who have become overly familiar with him. And that's evident in how they live their lives. Has that happened to you? Are you listening to God and what he has to say? He is speaking. He's speaking to you this morning from this psalm. Well, thirdly, notice you are to recognize the sin of self-righteousness. Verses 7 to 13. So God is speaking in judgment here. He reminds them that he is their God, and so he is right to speak a word of rebuke against them. Now, God is not rebuking them for the fact that they're bringing sacrifices before him. He's not against them bringing burnt offerings. But what is wrong is the way they are doing this. It's not out of devotion, but it's because they felt they were doing God a favor. They thought that God was dependent on them. Now, God tells them that every animal in the world belongs to him, whether it's the beasts in the forest, the cattle on a thousand hills, the birds on the mountains, the beasts in the fields. They are all his. And there was even the false idea that God needed these animals for food. Verses 12 to 13, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. No, I would eat from this world and have my fool. And so he was not dependent on his people to fill him up. He is not like the false gods who were dependent on the people. You may remember the account of the Philistine god Dagon that continually fell in its temple because of the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. And the people had to keep putting Dagon back in his place. Dagon can do nothing. Well, Paul speaks of who God is in the city of Athens to help them see that God is not dependent on man. In Acts 17, verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. So in their giving of sacrifices, the people of God misunderstood what they were doing. Instead of demonstrating adoration, they were trying to demonstrate their own righteousness. They were pointing out to God their own good works, that they are now worthy of his blessing. And so they were seeking to manipulate God. The sin of self-righteousness is one that we are all prone to in the worship of God. Do you think you're helping God out? You're doing him a favor and so he now owes you? That his glory would somehow be reduced if you were not here today? Is your confidence found in what you bring to God? Obviously, you're not bringing animals to be sacrificed, but even the praise of your lips, have you put your confidence in that, especially as Reformed Presbyterians who sing the Psalms? Is it because you sing the Psalms that God has to show you favor? No. You can't put God in your debt. Instead, you must recognize that you're in God's debt. He is the one who has shown you his grace. Come with humble hearts, with reverence for God. Keller writes, both the thing that you're giving God and even the desire to give it to God is from God. No, you have 
nothing to be self-righteous about. Do not think that your religious performance will earn you brownie points before God. Self-righteousness is a sin that you need to repent of. Well, fourthly, notice that you're to recognize the sin of hypocrisy, verses 16 to 22. In verse 16, God now speaks to the wicked. But wait, we see that the wicked are those within the community of God. Those who say they're one of God's people. They pretend to be part of his covenant community. They declare God's commands, but they also hate God's commands. And so they're acting as hypocrites. And we read of examples of their hypocrisy. They see a thief, and rather than condemn him for stealing, they're pleased with the thief's behavior. Maybe they say it's okay to steal when you're really in need or because society has been hard on you. Well, that's the only option available to you. We read that he keeps company with adulterers. Again, rather than calling out sexual sin, he condones it by keeping company with those in adultery and so is seen to be tolerating the sinful behavior. When you hear him speak, he's not honest. He is deceitful. He's not encouraging. No, he is slandering, bringing down his own family. Doesn't this sound so familiar in our own society today? It's no wonder Boyce says it's hard to think of a psalm that is as relevant to our day as this one. Christians today are compromising. No longer do they hold to the instruction of God's word. Instead, they are being instructed by the world. Rico Tice says that you as a Christian, you're to be for what God is for and against what God is against. And it's as simple as that. And if you find that difficult or restrictive or boring, then you must question your relationship with God. Are you serving God? Or are you serving the world and the world's standards? Now, that doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin. But the danger is when you don't recognize sin in your life and you're not repenting of it. And the reason for this behavior in verse 21 is because they misunderstood God's silence to God not caring about sin. And so they created their own theology and disregard what they do know from God. They disregard God's law. And that's because they believe that God's word is not sufficient. They seek new revelations that support their own ideas, whether that's to do with marriage or the existence of hell or it's okay to cheat in certain situations. God appears to be silent, but he has given his word, which is all that we need. And while he's not immediate in his judgment, do not be confused by that. God is not silent because he condoned sin. No, he is showing his patience and his mercy. This is the time for repentance, but his patience will run out and he will come in judgment. And we see his judgment in verse 22. Those who forget God, I will tear you to pieces. This is strong language, terrifying language. Too often in the church, we avoid the truth of judgment. It's too harsh. It's too extreme for our modern ears. We only want to focus on the love of God. But that's not the whole truth. And this sin of hypocrisy is one you must consider. For if you are guilty of it, 
the consequences are severe. Are you like the people described here, only pretending to be part of the covenant community? You actually hate God's word, and that's evident when you disregard God's word. You do that because you prefer your sin more than you want God. So recognize the sin of hypocrisy and repent of it. Well, finally, come to God with thankful dependence on him for salvation. Verses 14 and 15 and verse 23. Now, maybe you're thinking, where do I stand? There are many times when I think too highly of myself. I think I'm good, that I deserve from God an easy life because of all that I do. There are many times when I am hypocritical. I prefer my sin more than I prefer God. And that's true for me. And I believe it's true for each one of you. You and I are deserving of God's judgment. But the good news is that Jesus Christ has stood in your place. The judgment is being torn to pieces. Well, Christ was torn to pieces. He was savagely whipped and speared. He was nailed to a cross. He was left to die a slow and terrible death. God the judge judged his own son. Christ bore God's wrath for your sin in your place. And so he is the sacrifice that you are to trust in. Not a sacrifice that you have made, but one made for you. And in response, you are to bring your thanks to God as we read in verse 14. You are to come, not with confidence about what a great guy that you are, but come in humility, crying out to God, recognizing that you are dependent on him. Verse 23 demonstrates what a repentant person looks like. It's one who praises God, who seeks to live in God's way. And so you must come to Christ this morning, trusting in him alone, for it is in him that you have salvation. And you are to be thankful for the salvation that you have. Are you thankful this morning? Well, consider what Christ went through. Consider that should have been you. He did that to rescue you. Christopher Ashe in his commentary mentions that it's incredible to consider that Jesus sang this psalm. He heard this summons and he believed the promise and he heeded the warning. And yet he also knowingly took the judgment that was for you and for me. And so as you sing Psalm 50 this month, you can add your amen both to the warning found in this psalm, committing yourself to repent of the sins of self-righteousness and hypocrisy, and you can add your amen to bring thanksgiving to God for the sacrifice that Christ made for you. So listen to God. He speaks against your self-righteousness and your hypocrisy. And instead, come with thankful dependence on him for your salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to see you for who you are. You are the mighty God. You are the covenant Lord. You are the righteous judge. Forgive us, Lord, when we are mistaken about your identity. Forgive us, Lord, when we think that you are silent. No, you have given us your word. And so, Lord, convict us of our sins. Convict us of the sin of self-righteousness and of hypocrisy. And that instead that we would depend on Christ, who has taken the judgment on himself. 
And so fill us with thanksgiving for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our service singing. Let's sing Psalm 51b. See the arrangement of the Psalter here, Psalm 51, follows Psalm 50 in the Psalm book. And so we have this beautiful Psalm seeking God's forgiveness and bringing praise and thanksgiving to God for the, cle- the cleansing He provides through Jesus Christ. So let's stand and sing.